questions asked of each other out there when things aren't going well? Are you asking for more of your mother? Definitely not enough. Yeah, not enough. We can sit here and review the case and all that, but you guys, you know the efforts and what you're after and the responses you need. We're going to draw it out. And this is the part where the teams that I've been involved in, there was folks saying, that ain't good enough, mate. Lift your game. It's not like you don't like that, but we're playing spot in the final. But that's the level of responsibility you have to your mate, to the team, to the footy club. You don't need to sit there and say, oh, bad luck, next one. Hey, Pato, that ain't good enough. Or row that's in a bounce, mate. Come on. We've got to ask of more of each other, not allow it to happen. If you've got someone and you've got it done and you hand them over, do your job for me. I'm trusting you. That's what we're going to get to. Bad luck. We control the environment. We control our attitude. And we'll be okay because we've got a bit of talent. And we'll show some things, but we will never be the team we want to be until we ask each other to think when it counts. Hello everyone and welcome to Unplugged. Well, it's many parts, it's been a slow motion train wreck, but at the same time we cling on to whatever hope there is. After another feeble performance, we feel like we've thrown around the term as best win of the year and worst loss of the year on a number of occasions this year, but it would be hard to argue against that title going to what was dished up on Friday night. It was every bit as bad as the Essendon game and probably worse given what was at stake uh, and the extreme level of uncompetitiveness in the early part of the game. We have the West Coast Eagles who have been on their knees for much of the year this week in what is effectively our last chance to, uh, to make an impact. And let's be honest, if results go according to favouritism this weekend, we'll be in the eight come Sunday night. So you have to then fight and fight on. We've spoken about this on a number of occasions. Uh, I was in the Daintree rainforest last Friday night with no phone reception and no television. Uh, the only place that had any phone reception at all was the uh, main restaurants in the lodge that we were staying at. So popping down there and noticed a score at quarter time and then didn't get another score until about five minutes before three-quarter time. So, H, I might hand you first honours. I've watched the game since, but with the benefit of, a re of, of being on replay and knowing what had happened. So you can maybe take us through what it was like to watch it live. It would have been nice to have been up there, to be honest. That was <laughs> it was pretty ordinary. Um, yeah, it's the sort of game you sat there, sort of. I, I reckon I pretty much only watched it with one eye because I had my head head in my hand for most of the game. It was it, it wasn't good viewing, and it, you just sort of sit back and just think, "Oh, what are we doing? What what do we call this effort if we actually call it effort at all?" It just they didn't feel interested. They did not feel interested in being first the ball, being the one to do do this, the one to put throw themselves in front of the ball to get to win it back for us, to to not sit back and think, oh, that someone else would do this. Or and and we were discussing last week saying that 
they're 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 a clean team. They like to have their open space. They like to move the ball around. We just let them do it. We're sitting back going, why are we just letting them play the game they want to play? You look at how we played against Carlton. That they, they are quite similar in the way they want to play. We pressured them and it and it it stopped their momentum. It stopped them being able to play that sort of football. All we have to do is play that same sort of football against the Bulldogs. The, the, the Bulldogs aren't that good a team at the moment. They can be really good when they're up and about, but at the moment they're not great. But we may have played them back into a little bit of form. We, we sort of let them yeah, just have, have a bit of a training drill and figure out what's working, what's not working. And yeah, they just went out there and had a bit of fun. So it was until the last quarter came along, you sort of thought, there was, there was just no effort in it whatsoever. And I took a took an injury sub to actually look like we had a bit of fire out there, which was which was quite disappointing. You watch the last quarter and I mean you watch it backwards and you think, well, we were out of the blocks and then died off. But it, it was almost saved all the effort to the last quarter. And it was a pretty ordinary, ordinary Friday night, which let in which just ruined your weekend after after having to watch something like that. It's the the effort thing's a really, a really good point. I, I was a bit like you, Parker. I was away and, and saw bits and pieces of the first half and then settled in the hotel to watch the second half, unfortunately. And uh, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever, saw that last quarter. And I mean, it's just the, the fire was out of that game. There was no, the, the dogs had put the cue in the rack. The, there was nothing for them to play for really. At times you this team teases you and thinks maybe there's some hope that you, you know, you're going to come back from eight goals down and, you know, we've done it before. So why can't we do it again? Um, but yeah, it, it never really looked likely. And even in those fleeting moments where you thought maybe, maybe they are putting some play together that's worthy of something invariably they'd go and, and waste that effort in front of goal um, or give the ball back or, or whatever it was. I mean, this team, this team is not confusing anymore. Um, it's, it's funny. A few weeks ago, we've spoken about kind of the two personalities and, and trust. Yet you have no trust in this team. And we spoke earlier in the year about how maybe we're getting to the point where we can trust this team and, and the culture within the group and the squad, the, the environment and the, the atmosphere and all of that sort of stuff. That stuff's gone. Like that, That's done. That, that doesn't exist. Those conversations that we had, yeah, at the buy and the few weeks before the buy, that's done. That team doesn't exist anymore and, and has potentially gone the other way. You know, all those conversations around how well the team has gelled together, the culture in the squad and, and around the team and within the four walls, in the inner sanctum, how, how well they all get along with each other. The, the team is too nice. They're too nice. They're too timid. We saw that footage after the game that you know, I don't know whether it was good or bad that the club released it. I don't know whether it was good or bad that it had to happen in the first place, but Ratten telling the boys in the rooms, you've got to tell them when they fuck up. You've got to tell them when they're not good enough. Like it can't be just, oh, next time you'll get them next time. Like, oh, good effort. Sorry, you didn't get there. Like just fucking get there. Go and do the job that you're being paid to do. Um, the fact that we're having to have these conversations, this, this team is in what year of a rebuild? Like how many times do, do we need to, to have these conversations? Why do these guys that are 25, 26, 28, 30 
need to be told to toughen up. This shouldn't happen. This is a professional football club. Why does this conversation need to happen at this point of the season? Every week, it's like, this is your, this is another must win game. This is your final chance. You've got somehow we have another chance to, to be in the eight this weekend, which is like, if I had hair, I'd be pulling it out. Like, this is crazy. How do we still have a chance to be in the eight? We had the same conversation last year towards the end of the year. Like, how is this even possible? And how do we keep fucking it up week after week after week? It's interesting, the, the, the fragility of the, the confidence. I mean, that was one thing that stood out to me at the start of the year was that, you know, we, we were, the game was on the line against Freeman or we lifted and won it. The game was on the line against yeah. Richmond. It was us. The Giants heaped pressure on us. We had injuries. We had no right to win, but we withstood that. The Geelong game, we fought back. We, we showed character. We showed, you know, mental resilience and, and all of that sort of stuff. And obviously there was years of, disappointment and, and distrust, which which obviously made it hard to truly believe that. But you saw it a few times and you thought, okay, maybe that's a new DNA that they've put in place. But unfortunately, some of those bad habits have, have crept back in again. And it, it suggests to me, it, it, it's funny, it, it, it looks like a, a lack of effort. I'm sure it isn't. I mean, obviously, if they lay 12 tackles in the first half, that's embarrassing, particularly when you've lost the clearances 22 to 8 or whatever it was at the main break. So the Bulldogs have the ball and they're out defending you at the same time, which is the ultimate indictment. But I don't think it's effort. I think it's fragility of confidence where players aren't running to assist the way that they normally would. They're not running to the next contest because they don't have faith in either winning the ball or their own ability to get there uh, or, you know, that for whatever reason, their faith in the system that they're trying to put in place breaks down. And it looks like you're hesitant and you're almost not putting in and your work rate's not where it used to be or where it's supposed to be. But I sense that stems largely from confidence more than anything, but there's no reason why their confidence should be that, that brittle. We've spoken a lot about big occasion games and big moments that we, we often fall over in, but you can't get anywhere unless you've got an ability to deal with that type of pressure. And, you know, that was another season on the line game uh, and we fell in a hole. Um, is is look, that, yeah. Fr- I mean, fragility of confidence. Is that strong enough? Like you, I feel like we, as fans, often we, we try and give them the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. And I, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's part of what we do on this program is that, you know, the history of this football club is tragedy and mm. failure. And so, you know, we kind of have to keep a bit of the positivity and, you know, we've got to keep that going for our own sanity more than anything else. But is it, is it fragility of confidence or is it plain and simple mental weakness? Um, combination of both obviously we're dealing with upwards of 40 players Uh, it's interesting now like I mean a lot of us looked at that Brett Ratton thing post game and thought uh, you know he could have gone harder and maybe we would have gone harder and obviously in the full version he does go reasonably hard but we know that football is not what it used to be I mean anyone who's played footy has copped even as a group huge sprays uh, in the in the past. Um, they don't work for everybody. Obviously, some players react to a big rev. Other players do not. Uh, it needs to be a different sort of approach to them. But I, I like that putting it on them, that responsibility, saying, don't just go, no, no, mate, um, you'll get the next one. It's like, no, mate, we need more from you in that contest. Mm. That can't happen. We need, yeah. we needed that one. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. 
you, yeah. you, you simply have to get it done. Like you've got to, you know, you, you know, you can do it. We've seen you do it before. It's a non-negotiable uh, that you get to that contest and assist so that it's not a three on two. You've got to even that contest up. You've got to get to the loose player in defense. You've got to call someone back. Uh, if there's a loose player through the middle of the ground, that all of those basic fundamentals have to happen. So, yeah, it's a, if you haven't got yeah, if you haven't got the ball, hmm. get to somewhere where you're going to get the ball, or protect the player with the ball. Hmm. They're, they're they're your three options. Hmm. You've you've either got it, you're getting to where it's going, or you're protecting the one with it. And yeah, the other hmm. two didn't see don't seem to be happening much recently. So. Yeah, there's your, as you're saying, your lack of confidence, lack of want, ability of not not necessarily ability, but at times it can be, I guess, lack of ability to read the play and read the situation. And I wonder whether the caution to the wind aspect, so the Fremantle game early in the year, we were three goals down. Um, we had to attack. We got on a roll and rode the momentum. Richmond we were four goals down, then kicked something like 11 in a row, just rode the wave. Geelong, four goals down. Again, you got to throw caution to the wind. But, you know, the Melbourne game, we, we went into our shell and played far too conservative from the start and we were gone. Uh, the Port Adelaide game, we didn't handle a change of venue and a change of conditions well at all. Uh, when we were expected to beat Essendon, we got big heads. Uh, then a game against the Bulldogs where the season was on the line, we were a deer in the headlights and, and had no idea. So I wonder whether that fragility, if you look even at the wins, based on the circumstances of the victory, was when they were able to throw caution to the wind and didn't have to sustain that pressure that was on them right from the start. You just need to... Just go for it. Well, we, when we've said, seen so many times this year when we've had this free open play, teams haven't been able to keep up with us. How about we just start playing like that? If that doesn't work, maybe then change it up. Don't don't try and settle into the game to begin with. Mm. We, Hit them hard first of, in. We've said a number Hit them hard first that's, in the match. And yeah, that's been the issue all year. Like that those moments where we try and control a game or overpossess or defend, you know, over defend, etc. Um, and we become really static. We become slow, lethargic, static, stagnant. That boring. that's not <laughs> yeah, boring, yes. But but also we don't have the we don't have the accountability. We don't have the discipline to play that team. We don't have the discipline to play like a Hawthorne of the early 2000s or early 2010s, you know, 2014, 15, etc. We don't have the discipline of the Geelong of the, the late 2000s, et cetera, to play that game, that ultra uber possession game where you've got to have pinpoint foot skills to be able to do it. We don't have the skill set. We don't have the discipline. We don't have the accountability. But when we do almost throw caution to the wind, like you said, Darren, like it's just we're so much more exciting. And even even if we don't win the game, like it's exciting to watch. You feel like they're, they, they're giving a shit. You feel like they're putting the effort in and they're playing their brand like – playing your game style isn't always going to deliver a win, but that's your brand. It's who you are. It's what you stand for. And I don't really know what we stand for. I don't really know what our game style is at the moment because we, we so often come into, into a game playing that static stagnant style of football and it doesn't work. And then you change it, you go to plan B and it's play offensive football. It's take the game on. It's use the corridor. It's kick long, kick to a contest. You attack the footy, attack the ball, attack the man. And all of a sudden we start, playing football again and, and it looks like we've got some passion and some 
energy and intensity. And I just wonder why isn't that our plan A? Why isn't that our game plan? And then if that doesn't work, then try and switch something around and try and you know regroup and, and gather and possess and all that type of stuff. It, it's, Let's pretty say the, clear. it's pretty clear yeah. that that's what works for us. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say the numbers, like us compared to other teams, because I had the feeling that we've probably had more goals kicked off like a loose ball or a chaos ball or whatever, picked up off the ground, kicked the goal than most teams. Because that's how we've had to have kicked goals this year a lot of the time. Um, a few weeks ago against Carlton, most of our goals came from either a swarming pack running into the 50 and handballing it around and kicking the goal between them or loose players off the ground, including King. Well, we were, we were essentially the number one, the number one team for goals or scores, scores and score opportunities from turnover and from rebound 50. Yeah, we'd win the ball and we'd move it fast into and attack. Run. We'd have an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. We, we the, were the number one or number two in, in that metric and pretty much, you know, way down the table in anything else, including scores from stoppage, including scores from whatever. Arcs inside 50. That, that's been yeah, probably that, our, our worst, yeah. And once that, upon that a time, these... Over and rebound yeah. 50 was, was kind of where we... where we, That was our, our brand. One of the, Once upon a time, these numbers would have read well, but they, they actually point to concern if you look at our defensive end where you had... You know, these numbers, Wilkie, 16 marks, Battle, 14 marks, Webster, 12 marks, Sharman, 10 marks, Membry, 12 marks, sort of pushing up the ground. Wood, suggest- 13. Yeah, Wood, 13 marks. It suggests, a, I guess, a lack of desire to pull the trigger and move the ball quickly. Now, Wilkie was fantastic, but... Um, but also a lack of defensive pressure everywhere Correct. Else. So it's basically you win the ball in defence and you're just looking after it. You're sort of sitting on it, chipping it around, and because either you don't have the options to go or you don't have the bravery to go. And it happened a bit against Essendon where you turn the ball over, you try to play bold, you turn the ball over once or twice. And it's almost like collectively the group's like, oh, we've got to put that away. Can't do that anymore. When you've just got to keep going, um, you, you can't you can't be that fragile. And obviously if you're that fragile, it, you don't look like a finals team. But as you say, we, we banked enough games early in the season to actually still be alive. So um yeah, it's a question of whether they can get that back because you often judge teams by what their best footy looks like. Our best footy this year has beaten Geelong, who have looked unstoppable since then. They've beaten Richmond, blew them away for an hour, beat Fremantle in Perth, um, you know, have, have played beat Carlton on a Friday night um, at, at Marvel, their only loss at the venue this season. Um, so there are some capabilities there. And occasionally I can get accused of being sort of too optimistic, but, but my view is that. My view is that, for all of the doom and gloom, if we win this week, like we should, and, and look, you know, the, I think somebody said um, banana peel game, uh, that normally we say these games are a banana peel game. For, for This game is the entire banana plantation for us. Um, it's a disaster if we lose the game. Like there could be, there could be not be a more clearer indication that you're fucked than if you lose this type of game. So... If there's a pulse, if you win this and you start favourites against Hawthorne, if you can somehow roll two in a row, uh, Richmond play Fremantle this week, and then I think they play Port Adelaide and Adelaide or something. The Bulldogs have got Melbourne this week and then Geelong, I think. So there is a chance for us to make a move uh, with a tough fixture to end the season, but to take eighth spot in the next couple of weeks and say, you've got to catch us in the last three mm-hmm. weeks. So that has to be the aim. A lot of people have thrown the toys out of the cot, and I totally understand that, but there is still a final spot up for grabs, and we can be there Sunday night if we can get our shit together. 
I think I saw, I think I saw a, a stat we still are 23% chance to make the finals or something around that range. So, um, yeah, I mean, results went our way on the weekend. Who says results can't keep going our way? And exactly. I mean, we've got to do it ourselves first and foremost. We have to win our games. Um, I think I had a look at myself at one point. We can, my belief is we can drop one match. Yeah, that, that's it. Otherwise, no, no. that's it. There's, there's no, if, if we've lost two, season over. Um, the results just can't fall that way enough after, after two losses. So, while we'll take one, it'd be nice not to have any, but I, I don't see, don't see us winning all five. Um, I think Geelong down there is possibly the one where. Yeah, we're, we're in a position at, where we've probably got to beat Sydney and Brisbane at Marvel. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, which and which is but you know it's it's doable. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it's doable. Let's mm-hmm. let's not beat around the bush. Like when we play our football, when we turn up and put in the effort and the intensity and the energy, we can play some at really our ground. Yeah, pretty good football. Um, yeah, this we, thing, we know yeah. that we've seen it, and and I think that's what makes that's what makes having these discussions so frustrating every couple of weeks is that we know we can play good football. We've seen it. It's just do it consistently. Yeah. And we're not talking about, you know, from my point of view, blind support. I mean, as supporters, we do our bit. They don't always do theirs as a club. We, we know that, um, they don't, we don't let them down. They, they've let us down frequently. Like we're here all the time. We'll be here when they retire. We'll be here when the next generation retires and we'll be here when the last generation retires. Like we always front up, but really that's all we can do with, with five weeks to go. You know, we ask the questions each week as to, you know, where it's going wrong and, and what can get better. But all we can do is fight the fight from our end. <clears throat> so be there, support, continue to, you know, get behind the push for finals. And if they don't make the finals, you can post-mortem it and pull it apart and do whatever you like. But at the moment, there's still a job to do. Now, we don't have really any control over that whatsoever. But all we can do is, you know, get behind that effort to win four of the last five, whether we think they're good enough or not. Uh, And no doubt we will do that. No doubt we'll fight on like we always do. Um, And we just have to hope that they uphold their end of the bargain. It's sit there and make some noise. That that's yeah, that's sure. the, all we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, that's the thing is you're in two camps, aren't you? As as a security supporter, you're you're in the camp of it's the hope that kills you, and so you don't hope, or it's the hope that kills you, and I'm going to die hoping. So that there's, the, the, I th- I feel like we're kind of split. You know, St Kilda fans down the middle right at the moment. There's there's a, a bit of division around you know fans of the footy club. Like, is it worth? Can I keep doing this to myself and I think we all have that conversation internally with with our, ourselves and with each other, you know, from time to time. But I think, you know, ultimately we're St Kilda supporters and this is part of who we are. And unfortunately, you know, we're, we're used to it, but we keep turning up week after week. Boats out of that, uh, out of that debacle. Um, H, you, you saw it sort of start to finish. Our votes are kind of in retrospect, but uh, what do yours look like? Yep. The first one I'm giving is, is he, he only played one quarter of football, but he came on and actually showed some of the other players actually how, how they should have been playing the first three quarters. It was, I mean, ben Long came on like he he had a rocket up him. It, I don't know if he was sitting too close to rats on the bench or something and he was copping it or he was getting slaps on the back of the head or something, but he got out there and he actually threw himself at it. He threw... He was all over the place. And 
if half our team had shown that same commitment, we probably would have been in the game at three quarter time. We, it probably would have been a lot closer. And then you think we got, okay, long comes on with some fresh legs. Hey, we, we could have ran over them. But yeah, it, it took to, it took our injury sub to come on at three quarter time to show a bit of leg, show a bit of pace and show some wants at the ball and throw yourself at it. And yeah, it, it just one quarter of football and I'm giving him a vote just, just for the showing that he wants to be out there and do the right thing for the team. So no, huge, huge. Um, ups to Ben Long for what he did in that last quarter. Um, to Jack Sinclair, um, he he was one of the ones. He actually, yeah, he put a fair bit in. It, it's far from probably one of his best games. Um, it seems to be if the team's a bit down. It, it obviously brings him a bit down as well, but he, he tried as much as he could. And um, it's just a lack of support probably made him look a bit worse than what he actually was. Um but as I'm saying, he, he stood fairly high above a lot of the others. Um, and the guy that I probably would have liked to have given six votes is Carl Wilkie. A monster game. He's, he's the reason we weren't 10 goals, 15 goals down three-quarter time. That, that's a massive, massive game from him. Um, that, that's, it doesn't, didn't deserve to be in the back line on, the week, on Friday night. Didn't deserve to be in our back line having what was coming at him. But to stand up the way he did, that, that was a brilliant game. And it'd be good to see him. I mean, it'd be great if he doesn't have to do anything like that every other week. But if, if he's in that sort of form and we're winning, hey, we'll win some games quite convincingly. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's give him a rest this week and kick the ball down the other end. Nick, your thoughts? Pretty similar. Yeah, I think I think Ben Long was honourable, and I mean it, that's a bit of an indictment on the rest of the the rest of the team that you know you, a guy plays a quarter and and he's in the honourable mentions. But you're right, H. I mean, for a guy, and he's the perfect guy to come and do it to be a bit of a spark plug when you need it. But you know, ideally, you're not six or seven goals down when it when it happens. But um, yeah, I was really impressed with with Ben Long. I gave one vote to the skipper. Um, obviously not the season that, that he would like, that we would expect from him, that we would like from him, but just turns up week after week, you know, the effort that you're getting it from steel. And he's one of those guys that, you know, if nothing else, you know exactly what you're going to get from him in terms of effort and energy and intensity. Um, you know, he, he's a pro and he, he turns up and he puts in a shift every week. Um, wasn't his best game by any stretch, but you know, again, and in an indictment to the rest of the squad that he can have an okay Jack Steele game and still earn a vote. Um, you know, I think that that says about it. Uh, two votes I gave to Jack Sinclair. I think most other weeks, you know, when, when we play good footy, that probably gets him three votes. But, um, you know, 36 touches is nothing to sneeze at in, in a debacle of a game like that. And you know, still had 600 plus metres gained. Um, he's doing a lot more winning the ball and then doing more with it when he's got it than, than he has historically. Um, it's obviously been a bit of a breakout season, but we've said that about him for the last two seasons, I think. So just another, another continuation of, of his season, I think for, for sinks, but you're right. H I think Cal was head and shoulders above the rest. Um, we, we would have been triple digits 
down, if not for for Cal Wilkie. I mean, yeah. we spoke about we spoke about the, the sixteen marks you mentioned, um, Parco before, but fourteen intercepts. Yeah. I mean, his his work ethic and ability to to read the play, his intelligence as a defender, um, is so far head and shoulders above everybody else in our defensive unit. Um, I mean, Josh Battle. I thought was was okay. I thought he mm-hmm. was pretty good, but Cal Wilkie is next level good and you know continues to be underrated. I think he's starting to become more rated and more understood a- across the league and, and certainly amongst St Kilda supporters. But I mean that was that was an immense performance by Cal Wilkie. Yeah, it was um, career high marks for him. He hasn't missed a game since debut, and, and yeah, he was the exception. We spoke about all the marks in defence earlier from the chipping. He was the one that was winning him back off the opposition. It was just we had no launch, unfortunately, from from there. But yeah, my votes were, were exactly the same. I mean, I thought I mean Mason would make some mistakes, but I thought mm. he worked pretty hard. Um, uh, had an influence on the game. Um, there wasn't really much else to to report on. We we certainly missed Seb Ross through the middle of the ground. Um, you know, his, his hardness, his clearance work. We got monstered in the middle in the first half. But, yeah, I gave a vote to, to Jack Steele. Um, solid performance. Tried to lift us in the second quarter. Um, worked hard. Was was limited. They put a lot of work into him. He's probably still carrying the shoulder to some degree. Um, gave two votes to Jack Sinclair. He's on track to win his first best and fairest and first All-Australian Guernsey in the, in the same season. He's been outstanding this year. And, yeah, Cal Wilkie, that's a... Um, it's an example of someone just holding back the tide. He we were under enormous pressure, getting flogged in clearances, getting flogged in inside 50s for periods of the game. The ease with which they were going forward compared to us, our defence was constantly under siege. And, you know, he's had the chance to captain the team this year and during a, one of those games where um, Jack Steele was absent and he is very much the leader of that defensive unit. Um, yeah, and, and he's been fantastic. Uh, he gets the three votes clearly. Um and yeah, I think with, with all due respect to defenders, if a defender is best on ground, you're probably having a tough day. Um, and, and it turned out to be the case in this one. Now, we originally had uh, Paul Callery uh, lined up to chat. Instead, we'll chat to him next week. He's on Surface Paradise at the moment. And some of that internet reception around sort of South Queensland, northern New South Wales can always be a bit a bit tricky and a bit dicey. So when he's back in Melbourne next week, he'll help us out. Uh, we will have a chat very shortly to Tim Gossage, uh, who uh, will jump on. Now, that's probably one of football's uh, best, depending on who you speak to, best or worst kept secrets. He always gets accused of Western Australian bias, Tim Gossage, but that's ridiculous because he barracks for the Saints. And he'll have a chat to us about that journey. His hero is George Young. Uh, he's made a, a fine career over there in the West and tall enough to play in the ruck in the AFL. So we'll hear from him. Sold him the dummy, he paid full price, and Rewalt will lead out. No mark, here's Hamill strong again. Rewalt's come down, Ginger, but come back to the left boot. The Saints have got another one. Stephen Power has got their eighth. Well, a lot of people always talk about Basil over in the West, but Tim Gossage <laughs> is the king of Western Australian media, and he is a passionate Saints fan, and I'm not sure that's something that everybody knows. Um, certainly hides it very well. A lot of people accuse him of a bit of WA bias, but he's actually one of ours. Goss, uh, it's been a pleasure working with you over the journey, and nice to have you on. Uh, good to be on. And, uh, yes, the old mystery, who do I barrack for? Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been tagging me for a long time. 
A lot of people in WA Barrack, I imagine, for Victorian teams because they would have started following footy uh, before the, the West Coast Eagles were born. Um, can you tell us your story about, I guess, how you came to be a Saints? Yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone Barrack, you know, it was it was uh, we had waffle football, and then we sort of had a connection to a Victorian team VFL, and that then that was predominantly through the winners, of course, as well. That was our only take. And then I think on ABC Radio, we'd get one game at lunchtime at midday. It would come on. I barrack for St Kilda because my and I was seven, eight. Uh, George Young was my Subiaco hero, and he ended up going to St Kilda um, at the end of '72, if I stand corrected on that. And um, he had to go because someone had to leave Subi and take the money because Subi wanted to recruit Ross Smith as their captain coach. And Ross Smith came across, coached Subi's premiership in 1973, their first flag in 49 years. Brian Sirikoski played in that flag as well, being a great St Kilda man, and George Young left. And as he left to find a club, he went to St Kilda, and that's why I backed for the Suns. Now, Goss, can, can you just confirm? I know we've just said it, but can you confirm in your own words that Tim Gossage is a St Kilda supporter? I am a St Kilda supporter and have been <laughs> since 1973. Very, very good. Now, I just, just want to touch on touch on something, because you, you do have another somewhat murky connection to St Kilda in your time <laughs> with Subiaco. Now, I think a lot of people probably wouldn't know that, that you spent some time with Subiaco as a coach. And the man that you took over, as coach of the under-19s, who went on to coach their seniors uh, and then became a senior coach at St Kilda was Scott Waters. Can you tell us a a little bit about that story and that relationship? Yeah, 100%. So Scotty uh, got the Subiaco Colts job, which is the the TAC Cup, is the 19s predominantly. He got that job um, and he got a a few of his mates around to, to help out. He said, would I be interested? And um, our very first game, we coached the team up at uh, Swan Districts. And a young boy came on the ground and jumped over the top of one of our players, went straight over the top of him, took mark of the year right underneath the coach's box. That was Nick Nat Nui. And that was our first experience of coaching Subi Colts. And then Scotty got the job in the league team to go up and coach. He replaced Peter German. He went league and he handed over the reins to me. And I coached the Subi Colts for two years. And we made the finals in my first year which is the first time we'd made the finals for 10. And then obviously uh, Scotty found his way to St Kilda, albeit briefly. Yourself as a player, how, how, did, how did you go yourself? Did you have a <laughs> not bad clear? You're one of those good ordinary players in, in the country or how, how sort of far did you manage to get? Uh, not very. Um, I was, I was very, uh, I, I, I and I'm not shy in telling anybody this, I was very good at a lot of things, but not great at any of them. Uh, I was a, a very good junior footballer, a very good cricketer, nine for eight, seven for one, seven for nine in three weeks, including two hat-tricks. I, you know, I, I can rattle that off pretty quick. I kicked 13 goals in a game of under-15s once with Todd Bremen in the same team. Tur- uh, Turbo, of course, went to went to Richmond, was drafted early to Richmond and, and played at West Coast. Um uh, then played a lot of hockey and tennis and stuff like that. Um, my claim to fame was my, uh, in 1989, I was playing for Wembley Amateur Football Club, playing seconds, which was the reserves, which is our, our D grade. And I kicked the winning goal 
to win the flag in 1989 at Lathlane Park, which is now the training venue for West Coast. Uh, kicked a winning goal um, just on half time. Uh, we didn't kick a goal after half time, <laughs> and if we didn't kick, the, if I don't kick that goal just on half time, we lose by four points. So uh, that's the win. That's the winning goal, and I'm sticking to it. And that's where my career finished. How many did they kick in the second half? About seven. We were hungover. We'd had a big night the night before. <laughs> Grand final celebrations 24 hours early. Um, <laughs> the media landscape in the in the West, I guess from the, the, how that evolved, I mean, being a, a St Kilda supporter when uh, the Eagles didn't have a presence in the that competition, you still had the waffle, obviously. And then when the Eagles joined in in 87 and then when that became a two-team city in in 95 with with Fremantle coming in um I guess how has that evolved and and I guess what's that landscape like now as a supporter or is that or in regards to the media I reckon both support is a funny one I mean look as soon as the Eagles came in um there was the diehard waffle rusted on waffle football fan who said, oh, I don't want to, I'm not, never going to vote for a VFL team or an AFL team as, as it became and they would die in the wool. Um, there was a lot of Fremantle people who eventually jumped on West Coast. So you all had your North Melbourne. North Melbourne had a massive following. Carlton had a huge following, um, uh, in particular those two, and I think Essendon as well. So there was a, a lot of WA footy fans who followed their waffle players across, like I did for George, of course, going to St Kilda. But um, over time, the euphoric nature of West Coast and the 92, 94 flags, everyone piled on. Then there was Frio people who were West Coast fans, or waffle fans, then West Coast fans, and then, oh, we've got our own team, the Fremantle Dockers. So they went and, and barracked for the Dockers. There's a lot of Dockers fans who were died in the War Eagles fans, but as soon as Fremantle came in. So that landscape has evolved over a period of time. Everyone has a waffle team. They just don't go to the games. You you've seen a lot of you've seen a lot of football and and obviously firstly as a as a fan, a, a St Kilda fan, and then secondly as a commentator, broadcaster, presenter, etc. Is there is there one particular I guess let's go one St Kilda moment, one non-St Kilda moment that, that kind of sticks out as your your favourites as having seen in person? Yeah, uh, look, uh, in, I remember when Craig Devonport, I think, kicked five goals in one quarter at the Wacker we in a night lost. game. <laughs> yeah, and still lost because Troy Eugle kicked five goals in the last quarter <laughs> for West Coast in the same game, if I remember rightly. Mm. Um, look, I, for, for me, for St Kilda, I was, I was working for Channel 10 Drawn grand final. I'd been in the lead up to that. They Channel 10, to have a presence, would send over me. I'd do a week of reading sport, doing a couple of interviews and stuff like that, just as a presence. We, we were non-competitive in regards to ratings against Seven. You know, obviously had the hold on it and, you know, Seven had the rights. But so I went across for, for that week. And I remember being in the box when the ball bounced the wrong way. I looked down at my phone, the siren went, and I looked down at my phone and it was my boss from Perth who said, you're staying for another week. And I was sort of betwixt and between. I really wanted to get home because I'd been there for about 10 days. I sort of had that sick feeling that it was going to be a long week and it was going to end in a few tears. It could have been so different for me. So to be honest, um, that is a that for me is a, a, a moment as a St Kilda fan. But my greatest time in football as a journo or a reporter um, well, there, was, there were two very brief ones. 92 when West Coast won the grand final. 
And in those days, it was carte blanche. Media, didn't matter what TV station, you know, Channel 7 had the rights, but we did, every media outlet was allowed on the ground. You just took your own, you took your camera, you just ran around, did interviews as you wished. And I remember working, watching the whole game with, with Neil Brooks. Brooks, he was working with a seven at the time. And um, he's got a bit on his plate at the moment, Brooksy, but it was... Um, he was he was mad passionate and we just loved it and screamed and carried on like uh you know being proud west australians as we were but my greatest moment i reckon was 2006 i uh, i'd been at the grand final working for channel 10 on the boundary we had the rights 2005 i remember walking on the ground at the quarter time in 2005 neil cordy was um one uh, boundary rider i was the other and christy malthouse was there and I remember walking out to the huddle at 2005 at quarter time and I stopped and the MCG was almost fully developed, still, still being built. And I remember doing a complete 360 going, I'm on the MCG on grand final day, like working. <laughs> I was very lucky. And then 2006, they won. And I remember going up to Ben Cousins, interviewing him for the coverage and saying to Ben, this is going to be one type of one big party. And he turned to me and said, this party is going to be frightening. Um, and, and never, never a more true word spoken by Benny. <laughs> it finished in Richmond. <laughs> it did. He's going, he's going well now, Benny. He's going really well, which is fantastic to see. Through playing tennis with Matty Ebden the other day. Sorry, yeah. No, he's, he's, uh, and he's um, got a, He's in a really good space, Touchwood, and um, he's doing a bit on TV. He's got a bit of a media profile, but uh, yeah, life is um, is is going well for him. So let's hope that continues. Now, everyone's probably heard a bit of your commentary over the time. Though you can get quite <laughs> excited and get up and about, and that it, it is times you've commentated St Kilda over there and just just giving it that little bit extra and just or reporting on the news. The yeah the Monday or whatever in the, the game that's been on and just, just knowing, yep, yep. Well, I got, I got it this week and just, just lifting and how, how's that feel over there? Do, do you feel like you can really do that or do you sort of have to go, no, I'm going to hide it a little bit and just, uh, uh, just, just try to keep, keep the West Australians on side a little bit as uh, well? Or? Yeah. Look, St Kilda has been my out, my out um, for a long time. A lot of people align me to West Coast. <laughs> Because I talk about 92 and 94, they're all my mates. You know, I've name dropped for you as I will, but you know, Woosher and Bluey and Summer and Jacko and Mitchell White and all those boys and Heinze and all those guys, they're all my friends. They're the guys when I was a young, younger in the early 90s when they were trying to cut their teeth in the AFL, they were my friends and we were close then. We were we played basketball together, we'd drink together, we would play cards together and then you go and report on them. So I've always had that connection to West Coast always felt that I had a bit of West Coast in me. Judgey was, came and coached and, and was um, very close to Ken Judge. Um, um, rest in peace. And I um, always had a bit of a connection, but I always sort of, at Fremantle, um, I, I, I liked Frio. I, had, I lived down there. My two uh, daughters were born down Frio way. So there was always that connection to Frio. But I've always had St Kilda as my, when people go, you're a biased West Australian. And I said, well, I do barrack for St Kilda and I've always barracked for St Kilda. And I've actually never let go of Barrack for St Kilda. I'm incredibly proud. One story about St Kilda, which I, I would never live down, and I don't know how this happened. I was commentating, Parco, you would appreciate this. And I was doing the game at Subi Oval, and Ben Allen was the special comments, the former Hawthorne and Fremantle man. And we did the whole game, the whole game. And Twitter wasn't as prevalent, and your mobile phones wasn't, you, you know, you didn't live on your mobile phone like, we, like I do now. 
and I called the whole game and I called Jimmy Webster, Jimmy Walker. <laughs> and I called him the whole game. I called him Jimmy Walker. And as we said, and good night from Subiaco Oval, the same time by 24 points. But And I took the headphones off and then Ben said, you know you called him Jimmy Walker all night, don't you? And I went, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> well, Kilda fans absolutely went feral on social media. If you call your Saints man, you got his name wrong. It was just one of those moments where I was just in the zone. And as you're talking about my commentary, I do have a, you know, I do go and blow a foofa valve every now and then. And that was one of those moments. Um, never lived it down. But every time I see Jimmy Webster playing, it brings back the, the days of Jimmy Walker. <laughs> uh, now, you've got your... Um... You're obviously your, your finger on the pulse in, in WA. Uh, should we be concerned about Sunday? Obviously, St Kilda's form has been very ordinary in the last six weeks. The Eagles have got quite a few outs, but uh, what, what do you think? I do. I, I am concerned. I think, the, uh, for what it's worth, the market is wrong. It's almost an even-money game, and I know I know we, the Saints, are, are long odds on favour. There's, there's a bit to like about West Coast against Hawthorne last week. We're, Hawthorne were near on full strength. West Coast had Still got all those blokes out. Um, we know. Um, depends if Kelly gets up. He's got the, the he's got the cork fine. Hasn't done a lot of training. They won't get any of their stars back. They've named you know West Coast have named about three. I uh, know we've made. I think we've made a number of changes at St Kilda. Um, going to be wet. It's going to be real wet. Um, we're going to get a bit of rain. We've got all the soccer teams over here tomorrow, Friday night, and Saturday night, and so then. And so it's going to be a lot of um, action on that ground and it's going to be a bit slippery and a bit uh, cut up rough. So um, it is a massive danger game, so much at stake. West Coast will be nagging value and um, there's a good vibe around West Coast at the moment. Although they haven't got all their form back, I think as a general rule, they think they're tracking in the right direction and giving getting games into guys like Bazo and, and, and Hoff and uh, Jermaine Jones has been rebadged as a backman and stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, it is a, it's a danger game. I, I am concerned and I think it's an even money game. I think we should still win St Kilda, but I genuinely think West Coast like their chances. Goss, the, the connection between you in WA and, and other Western Australians with St Kilda, obviously you know, we, we mentioned Scott Waters before, who, who you know end up with us as, as the coach. There's been other, other guys from over West who have applied for coaching roles over the journey, but um, that period, you, you mentioned Ben Cousins after after 06, but that period before Cuz signed with Richmond, and, and there was obviously very strong talk about him coming to, to St Kilda with with Ross Lyon and, mm. uh, and and the team then. But how did how did you feel? I guess as someone who's who's seen it all unfold in Perth with Ben Cousins, and then the talk about him coming to St Kilda, what what was that like? Oh, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. It was a it was the worst kept secret in town. You know the people that he was uh, involved with and the party life and what was ingrained in him and his lifestyle. And there was a lot of mis mistruths as well. I mean, a lot of people were calling us out as journos, you know, the truth, start writing the stories, but it was not, to, it, to be honest, it probably was, I didn't feel as a, as a journo in those days and, the, and those around me who I was mentoring or I was in charge of the department. So at the coalface, I had, you know, Katie Price, who now is in Melbourne and Lockie Reed and other, and other people. And, you know, Basil and Adrian Barrich and Mark Reddings and all at Tanya Armstrong, all very good reporters, but they were footy reporters. It had almost gone out of the, the hands of the footy reporters to, to report on Ben and, and the stories and the speculation that had been going around and the company that he was keeping. Um, 
it was being handled by news and news journos. It was a really difficult time um, uh, to be a journo and difficult time for Ken Judge, a uh, difficult time. Um, Judge, he probably lost his gig as coach of, of West Coast because of blind eye, uh, accused of turning a blind eye to, to some of the stuff that was going on. Um, and, and even post that time, there's a, a lot of talk about other players inside that group. But we all heard it. But we didn't mix. I didn't mix in those circles. And, you know, we got a different story every day. I remember the day, absolutely, when Ben Cousins um, was stopped in the breathalyzer on Canning Highway down in uh, Apple Cross, got out of his car. His then girlfriend was in the car and friend. He got out of the car and took off, went through a restaurant, went out the back, started swimming across the Swan River um, and then went missing for a few days. Um, he rocked up to training at Kitchener Park, which was the Oval next to Subiaco Oval. And I remember him walking very calmly with a coffee in his hand. All the media was there. Oh, there's Ben Cousins. He's, he's showing his face. He's showing his face. He opened up the back of his Mercedes, gold Mercedes uh, SUV and went, so what's been going on? And that... <laughs> That was just Ben. And we loved Ben. Everyone loved Ben. And it was tinged with sadness. It was tinged with wow a lot. Um, but it was a difficult story to cover because we were rusted on footy fans who loved Ben, had heard the stories. We didn't report as saying it was basically news journos in newspaper, radio and TV that covered off that stuff. But it was a difficult time, a really, really, and a really sad time, to be really honest. When you look back at it now, the difficult uh, um, time that he went through and in particular his family's gone through and let's hope they're seeing the light now. Um, Goss, just just quickly, you uh, you showed us very briefly uh, before we started recording, you are holding a St Kilda Football Club tie. You want to tell yep. us the story behind that? Yeah, um, this is a, a, a tie and it's just a, a, an AFL tie and down the very bottom of it, um, the writing, it says St Kilda Football Club, former players tie, right down the very bottom. And it's, it is a Saints tie, it's got the Saints em, emblem on it. And that was given to me, I was actually at um, Ken Judge's place, um, the late Ken Judge's place. And he, uh, in fact, I think Mike Sheen was also there at the time. And um, Alan Jeans was there, of course, Alan Jeans through his Hawthorne days with Judge's days. And Judge, he said, oh, did you know Goss was a a St Kilda man. He left the room and came back and went to his suitcase. He, I think he was staying with Judgey at the time. And he brought that tie back and he said, I don't need this. You can have this. And so it, uh, great keepsake. Very lucky to have it. Um, and um, yeah, St Kilda Football Club, former players tie. So um, very lucky and something's close to my heart. Amazing. Like I mentioned a name earlier and we we know that Perth's not a big town. There's a lot of rivalry from one side to the other. <laughs> There's plenty of, I guess, trying to get on top of one to the other, that sort of thing. So, who is the biggest thing in Perth? Is, is it yourself or Basil? I mean, that's not as a lot, not are, a not lot of people would probably, a lot of people would probably say that he's got you by a nose, but <laughs> <laughs> he's a good man, Baz. He's a very, very, very good man. Been in the media for a long time. He, uh, has a very minimal role now with seven. He doesn't do the news that he used to do all the time. Uh, he's handed that over. He's doing breakfast radio. He's the Lord Mayor. He's still up and about. Um, I think pound for pound, I'm probably the most credible out of the two of us. So that probably has <laughs> every, everyone covered. But um, oh, we, we, 
we share we share the podium. Put it that way. But um, uh, yeah, Perth is a very small place. If we're if we're if we're the cream, <laughs> I hate to think about the rest of them. Well, hopefully, we can, on, we can uh, hear it. We can hear it from over here. Don't worry. <laughs> if it goes the right way on Sunday, hopefully you can uh, blare it out, of, blare the song out of the car on the way home, and just remind everybody. It's really hard. It's really, it, as Parker, you'll attest to this. It's really hard to commentate a game uh, with when a team is playing against West Coast with the the noise of affirmation yeah. and what Richo said, because you can get up and about for goal of the year, kicked by the Saints, marked by the Saints, and there's two hundred people barricading for them. Um, it, it doesn't hold as much verve and excitement when you're the commentator, but I'll do my best. And you get daggers from those uh, people that sit in front yeah. too. But, <laughs> gosh, thanks uh, thanks for jumping on last minute for us and uh, get them home on Sunday. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Great listening. Tim Gossage there. We look ahead towards the West Coast Eagles. Quite fitting that we spoke to Goss, given he's over there at the coalface at the moment um, in the lead-up to what really is crunch time. It's another elimination final for us. The West Coast Eagles have clearly been better in the last, say, eight weeks than they were in the first. But when we say that they've been better, uh, they were pretty comfortably beaten by Hawthorne last week, and they went scoreless in two quarters against Carlton the week before, the first team in over 100 years to do that. Um, they've still got quite a few players out, namely the likes of Sheed, Yo, McGovern, Natanui is, is absent for them. Oscar Allen, who's a good player, is not there. Uh, looks like Tim Kelly will probably play. He got, got hurt last week with a corky, but obviously we'll find out closer to it. Um, they've been better at home. They pushed Geelong at home. They beat Essendon at home, who have obviously been in better form. Uh, then they had the a pretty ordinary day against Carlton, save for a, you know, a second quarter burst. Uh, they've been beaten on the road by Richmond, uh, beaten on the road by Hawthorne. Uh, and for us, we obviously entered the game with at least three changes. So we know Paddy Ryder out for at least the home and away season. Hopefully there is a chance for him to come back because we play finals. Uh, they've omitted uh, Wanganine Malera, which I kind of understand. His, his weapon is his kicking, and he's been a little bit off in recent weeks, which I think is a bit of system uh, in part playing a, a role in that. But um, maybe needs a spell, although his pressure was far better than a lot of his teammates last week. So, um, you know, I think he, he out-tackled half the group or, or more. Uh, and also Zach Jones. So if there was a big-name omission, it is Zach Jones who has been omitted from the group. Hunter Clark comes back in, which is obviously very pleasing, um, looking at some of the others that they've they've brought into the, the the fold for that game. Tom Campbell, so it depends if they want to pick two Ruckman. Obviously, Rowan Marshall, I think, had been a little crook. Leo Connolly, um, Jared Lynott, Marcus Windhager and Seb Ross. So obviously, Clark and Ross, definite ins. I sense Windhager probably plays. I think Burns might get squeezed from that extended bench. So if we look at our extended bench, Patton, Burns, Windhager, Clark, Long, Highmore, Connolly and Campbell. So four of those don't play. So I think Burns, Connolly miss. I think Campbell misses. I reckon they might go with one Ruckman. And then it's a question of whether it's Patton, uh, Windhager, Long or Highmore that, that don't play out of that group. But uh, Nick, your thoughts towards the other West Coast Eagles? Interesting, really interesting selection. I feel for for Wanganine Miller because I feel like, and you're you're spot on about his weaponry kind of not being up to his usual standard, and and whether that's system based or or fatigue or or whatever it is, you know his 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 tool, his skill set is his disposal, is his kicking, and that it hasn't been there in in recent weeks. Um, but when you're when you're dropping a guy 
when when your team's issue and and has been for a period of time, I mean, for us, it's about six weeks or seven weeks, is that effort and intensity and energy. And you drop a guy, a young guy in his first season who is outperforming a bunch of his more experienced veteran teammates in that metric, in that, uh, in, in the way that you measure those things, tackles, chases, etc. I feel like that sets a really poor example um, because yes, we want him to be better with his kicking. Yes. We want him to be more daring and show the dash and you know, all of that sort of stuff, but that's a, that's a team issue. It feels like it doesn't feel like that's a Naziah Wanganin Miller issue, um, but he's still doing those things that others aren't doing. And so I really feel for him. I'm, I'm not sure it sets the right example or sets the right message um, to, to the young blokes and, and, and even to the younger, the, the older blokes in the squad, that that's, that's what happened. Unless there's some other underlying message or other things that, you know, rats and the, and the footy department want him to work on this week. But I feel like on a big ground, you want runners, you want guys who can deliver the ball. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think that, that Campbell hasn't really done anything wrong in the twos and, and is clearly the, the next good, man yeah. up in, in the yeah. ruck. But um yeah, I feel like on, on this ground against this team, you want ball winners, you want runners, you want mobile, agile, athletic players, and, and we need guys who, who can run. Um, and so I think you're right. I think that, that we play the likes of, of Wind Hager. I think Burns probably doesn't play, um, but that they're, you know, they're going to try and, and get some runners back into the team and, and Long deserves his spot, obviously, on, on the back of that final quarter. Um, but I, it's really tough. You mentioned that they've been better in the last six or eight weeks and they have. Um, but clearly the, the bar was not set high. from the exactly. first They've only won one of those games. So. I mean, they've had yeah. massive issues, massive issues. And they are potentially this season, the worst team in the league. I mean, I consider this game uh, a, a worse loss than losing to the Kangaroos. It's without um, question the worst West Coast Eagles team in the history of that. Club. In the history of the West yeah. Coast Eagles. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of reasons for even, that. Some of it's even not, be- not their fault. Better than like, the first time. Yeah. 100%, oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Without a doubt. Without a shadow mm. of a doubt. Um, but we, you know, we, we heard from, from <clears throat> Rewalt that you know, there's, there's things about you know, whether it's trying and really trying. Like there's a difference between you're trying out there and you're actually putting in 100% effort. You know, the old Saints footy and the, mm. the 100% effort, 100% of the time, or all of that sort of stuff that we've heard before, the cliches, but... Yeah, I think I think that he's right. That there's there is a difference between going out there and trying, and there's going out there and really, really trying. Um, and it, it it's yet to be seen whether we whether we do that this week. But if you if you can't get up against this West Coast team in the situation, the season that they're having, in the situation and the season that we're in, when you still got a shot after everything that we've seen over the last two months, you still got a shot. We win this game and we're in the eight. I mean that's the that's the story that's the message. You go out there and and you flog them. Like <laughs> if we don't do that, then we don't deserve to be having this conversation next week. Mm, um, and it'll be a very and, different conversation, that's for sure. Well, that's right. And, and we've heard we've heard a lot of we've heard a lot of conversation out of the club. Mm. You know, there was there was that, the video that we touched on earlier about the the you're not fucking good enough. You know, mm. you've got to have that conversation. That video came out today. We're hearing Brett Ratton's given a, a number of blokes the last chance kind of warning, you know, if, if this is their last chance and, and I said this on, on Twitter earlier in the day, if we're having conversations, if you have to within the club have <clears> these <throat> conversations where heading into a game against the worst team in the competition, that you've got to give guys last chance warnings 
then we're really not as good as we should be. And we're not as good as we have to be to be having finals conversations and finals campaigns and finals runs. Um, and we've just got to get better. And this is, this is, you know, the first step to us showing that we actually want to be there in September. And my worry, H, with things or, like or, that or is, yeah. The fifth, the fifth yeah. step. Still yeah. And, you know, we've just got to actually take that step. My worry, H, with that is that um, if you fire a team up or you give them a spray or you ask for a response, the response has to be sustained. So yeah. the worry is that you get a response and then it falls back down again because sooner or later that stops working. Um, and then you've got problems. So you need to tap into a sustainable method like you had at the start of the year. It can't just be let's fire up and win and then the bad habits return when you play Hawthorne a week later. Um, they've got to tap into something that can run them through to the end. And also can't reappear at halftime. That's right. That, that, that You can't rev them up to get out there for the first half of the game and then, then it just drops downhill. I mean, if that happens, you at least go, okay, Hopefully we had so much runners in that first half that we've got a big enough lead that we, we, we hold on to it or we, we it sort of just sustain that lead. But you want to see after this week, after what everyone said, after what, what has happened and the players we've seen dropped and that, you, you want us to win four quarters. Mm. We go out there and win every mm. single quarter. You don't, Take your fly out of the box the first quarter, second quarter, sort of just drift along. Think, oh, get another little bit of a rev at halftime, come out again, and then die for the end of the game. We, we want to see four quarters of this is a, this is the bottom of the ladder team. We're going to beat them up. We're going to make them look like the bottom of the ladder team. Don't don't just turn up and just yeah go out there thinking oh that's where they belong. We'll we'll just beat them. It won't be that hard. It won't be that. You go and think like that, the game becomes very hard. Mm. They're, they're not thinking that way. They're thinking, hey, he's a team. We'll, we'll, we'll beat it. We can beat them if we play our game. We'll, we can knock them off. They've got players who it's getting towards the end of the season who once all their good players start returning, like say for next year or some of these guys may never get another game again. They've still got a few, I guess, lower end, top up kind of players that haven't had much of a chance. And this is their opportunity to say, keep me on next year. They're, they're fighting for their careers. That's the sort of team you really don't want to go half-hearted against because they're throwing everything at it. They're, I, I they're, they're ready to give everything for it. So, I don't think that we learn much out of this game in a positive sense um from the result per se like if we come out and we win by 12 goals well we've beaten west coast the worst team in the league it's the four points in the history of the eagles yeah. it's correct it's four points we did what we had to do we're, we're better than them we should beat them and we did like it, it almost doesn't matter even if we beat them by 160 yeah. points it's the yeah. the message is the same what what we wouldn't mind if it's but if but if we don't perspective we don't we don't learn anything from that no what what, mm. what we can learn from and it doesn't matter if we win by one point or 100 points is if we come out and show that sustained effort and if we come out we we play football for four quarters then we can sit back and say hey it can be done we know we can do it. If we come out and we play half-hearted footy for three quarters and we win by 100 points, then like 
we, we actually don't learn much from that, but, but we can learn from what needs to be done on the field. And that's doing those intangible things. It's the, it's the team oriented things. It's the chasing, the tackling, the pressure, the one percenters, those effort things that sometimes are hard to, to be counted on the stat sheet, but we need to do that for four quarters. If we're off for, that, yeah. I was going to say one thing that will throw a little bit of a cat amongst the pigeons though, will be the weather. Um, they are expecting 20, 25 mils of rain on Saturday. So um, the ground, it's been pretty wet over there recently. Um, it might, if you'd seen the Frio game last week, the ground mm. was quite soft and <clears> muddy. And um, they, yeah, so Saturday they're expecting 20, 25 mils of rain. Um, only a couple of mil on actual game day, but it might be a bit wet. So there, there's a good chance that the tolls, may not be the way to go as well in that, for that reason. So it's a it's going to be interesting. I, I reckon there'll be maybe a few last-minute selections made depending on what the ground's like when they walk out there to have a look. So our awards now, that's so St Kilda. Um, for me, it's probably – I kind of ranted about it a bit in our Facebook group during the week in that – you know, when things go wrong for us, there's always sort of layers to it. I look at, say, Darcy Moore at Collingwood, for example, where he does his knee, practically gets carried off on a stretcher and put in an ambulance and misses a week. Um, we had Paddy Ryder do a calf, which is old man injury. I get that. But Daniel McKenzie gets a concussion against Brisbane innocuously, just backing back, trying to take a mark. Then does his carpet training, then does his carpet training again. I think he got COVID in there somewhere as well, and he's probably out for the year. Um, just things like that. It's always frustrating. Hunter Clark had a six to eight week injury and missed 14. Dan Hanabry hasn't played for 13 years um, with, with calf and hamstring complaints. So there's always another layer, and it's frustrating. But uh, H, have you got one? I think it's just the fact that it comes down to playing the worst team in the league to keep the season alive and just knowing that how, how bad it could be if it doesn't, doesn't come off. It's a whole banana plantation. We, 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 <laughs> we sit through the whole, we sit through Friday night, we sit through Saturday, we sit through Saturday, Sunday morning and afternoon and to get to twilight Sunday, the, the graveyard shift to sit there and hope and hope that it doesn't all just fall over. And yeah, what a worse place to do if it does. Oh, we're in that. We're in the final, the final stretch of a season where Dan Hannery's getting fit and is just about <laughs> ripe to, to come in and have three weeks of thirty touches and a couple of goals, and he'll earn himself another year contract and then miss all next year. But no, that that's a little bit facetious, but also really serious. Um, the truth. The, yeah. The, the the reality is that yeah, the Bulldogs have been pretty garbage most of the year, and a lot of the reason for that is that their prime mover, you know, Marcus Bontempelli, has had a down year. For him and we managed to play him into form uh their number one draft pick you know the next big thing in jamari Uglehagen has, has not shown much and we played him into form so you know we're just about right to play this west coast eagles vfl team into form and they'll probably roll us that would be so secure bloody oath um the jason blake awards I don't know whether we just scrap it and universally give it to Kel Wilkie, but do we? Uh, I'll, I'll throw it open to you guys first, see if you can find some individuals. I might throw Mason Wood into the mix. I thought he was okay um, on the weekend, but uh, what have you got for us, Nick? I want to give this one to someone who hasn't played all year and will not play again, Jaron Geary. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think we owe this guy some credit. I think the AFL environment and community owes this guy some credit. 
he's been an absolute warrior for us for, for a decade. And it's been a really tough year, a really tough decade for, for someone to come in and, and lead this club. I'm not sure anybody said it quite as well as uh, RWB footy, who we talk a little bit about on this program. But uh, this is a, a little bit of a, a paragraph from RWB. Geary was the last direct link to the Ross Lyon era. His war stories aren't quite the same as many in the Rewalt generation. He wasn't out there on the biggest days, named as an emergency for all three of the 09 and 10 grand finals, came on as a sub in the bleak 2011 elimination final. His lot was playing a role in trying to guide a heartbroken club back to relevancy and vitality. He had the difficult task of having to be the club's first captain following on from Nick Rewalt, arguably, arguably our greatest ever while carrying the title alongside the likes of his good friend and triple premiership player and finals mainstay, Joel Selwood, he played that role to some success. For now, he remains the answer to the trivia question. Who was the last player to captain St Kilda to a finals win? And Jaron Geary, I just want to pay credit to a guy who gave absolutely everything that he had to our footy club. I mean, just as much potentially as any hardcore St Kilda football club fan and supporter and member and whatever, Jaron Geary gave absolutely everything, blood, sweat, tears, and his entire body. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, to pay credit to Jaron Geary and his time with our footy club. Yeah, you can't help but, but have admiration. I mean, a rookie-listed player in the 50s plays 200 games and captains the club, and I think, I think that was summed up beautifully by the guys that, you know, he, he just took on the tasks that you asked him to do. None of those tasks are, are favourable. You, you, you've got to take over from Nick Rewald, a club legend. You've got to captain a club that's down near the bottom of a ladder. Uh, you know, he... he nearly broke his leg off, smothering a ball against Melbourne, ended up in hospital, um, came back and played, broke his leg again, came back and played, come back from so many injuries, courageous marks, gutsy player, had some limitations, sure. Um, but, yeah, he gave heart and soul, a wonderful, wonderful servant of the club, um, deserves all of that praise. Um, H, I guess, thoughts on the on the outgoing former skip and also your, your yeah. Jason Blake? Uh-huh. You could you could pretty much say that his yeah, his heart was bigger than his ability, that's for sure. But um, they yeah, certainly gave it every every time he was out there. Um, it, it's that's kind of what you want in a teammate. That's and that's why he got picked as a captain. So um, and yeah, I think that's that's pretty much. He probably should, probably should have gone before Nick for, for that one. So um, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's probably would have been the better way to have finished that one off. Um, but yeah, I was pretty much, I probably would have been going with Wilkie as well. I think, yeah, he got given credit for his game, but yeah, we're still, still yet to see. He still wasn't best on ground. So for us, it's it's quite amazing when you look at the look back at the game. Uh, your um, again, I, I don't mean to do it, but I almost call this a Dan Butler award. It just almost comes out. I don't mean for that to be the case, but Shannon Noel, H. I. It's got to be Brad Hill this week. Mm. He's he's going back to a ground he knows. He's basically. Got to step up. He's got five weeks left to show why he should be a leader of our team, to lead the way. So he's going back to his old home ground ground this week. He plays his former team next week. And it's his time to stand up. It's his time to show the sort of football that he knows that he can play. 
the sort of football that he knows needs to be played to get into finals. It, he, he's got to step on Buppy a leader for this, this last month of football now. It, it's his time to do it. Yep. A little bit different, but every now and then you know, we always hear about how Vic-centric uh, media and the football community is, I guess. You know, we're all based in Melbourne, for, obviously, and, and you always hear from over West that you know the media, whatever it is, is, is always Melbourne-centred and, and you don't get enough good quality stuff out of or, or for WA. But WA media this week, and, and there's been a bunch of Twitter accounts, the Optus, Optus Stadium Twitter accounts, a number of... WA media organizations referring to St. Kilda uh, in content, in copy, in social media. I mean, guys. It's I'm pretty sure easiest... that's banter, isn't it? Though? Are they poking I, it at us? No, no, this is legit. This is le- It's in multiple, it's mm, in multiple forms. It's been on images and graphics. It's been in text. It's been in copy. Like, guys, come on, get better. It is another country. They probably haven't heard of us before. So. <laughs> I remember going over to England when the Ashes were on in 2015 and reading in the paper, they didn't refer to Australia as Australia. It was like when we take on the penal colony and the colony and the uh, colony, whatever the word is, in the uh, in the Ashes. And I'm like, bloody hell. But uh, they are a bit different over in the West, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, for me, it's probably... Um, there's any number of players uh, that they could probably get the gong. Um, I think you're right on Brad Hill. Page. He's just, he's still a little bit too easy to take out of games. Um, you know, if you tag him, you'll get seven touches. Um, you, you won't sort of shake the tag, get 20 and have a slightly quiet day. You'll either get 30 or eight. Uh, it's sort of one or the other for him, unfortunately. But um, for me, it's probably, I mean, Jack Higgins, I still think is a really important player for us, but, you know, he misses a lot of chances. He's nearly there. He'll, you know, he's a bit too up and down. Um, harsh to put it on him in a game where we got belted last week, but, you know, he's a, a genuine match winner. Um, and I'm hoping, I mean, last time he went to Optus Stadium, that's exactly what he was. So fingers crossed that he, uh, he can do that for us again here. If we're slightly off, we'll obviously give them a sniff. Um, and obviously in their position, playing at home late in the season, um, you know, with a bit to prove, you know, Josh Kennedy's probably only got a couple of games left in his career, then you can create problems for yourself. So you, you can't, you know, allow them that sniff. I guess the final thought from me is that my message would be, and look for what it's worth, it would be that don't panic in the sense that I think they've played a bit scared in recent weeks afraid of making mistakes, afraid of, you know, getting dropped or whatever it may be. And they've gone away from things that were working. And it's, you know, I won't say it's weak, but it's not quite as, I guess, as mentally resilient as you'd like them to be. But you've got to keep the faith in the sense that, you know, there have been times this year where you've done it. And I guess the follow-up question to that would be, um, you know, I'm sick of having to, defend you all the time i'm sick of and i'll I'll always do it but stand up for yourselves you know you know you're copying it from everybody what do you want to stand for in that sense like you do you want to let the season just slowly you know piss down the drain or do you want to you know dig your heels in and go nowhere there is another shot left in this if we go down we go down swinging because you know we're we're always if you don't don't want to fight for the jumper then don't don't wear it that's right it's it's your reputation Mm. and and your career as i said we'll come here we've copped it forever like whatever um but, you know, what do you want to stand for? Again, we, we ask that question. So, um, you know, take control of your own destiny again and put yourself back in the fight. Um, it's that simple to me. Anyway, uh, we look ahead to Sunday. Uh, go Saints.
And as we say, this conversation could be anything next week. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. 